0: Good morning. Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas Eve Eve or as Dylan Cole said in that video, cockadoodle do. So it's good to be together to celebrate uh, the reason for the season. This fine Sunday. And I was thinking, this is my 33rd Christmas. And I've spent nearly all 33 of those Christmases here in Durban, maybe a few in some other different places. But it's great to be in the city of Sun uh, to celebrate Christmas time. You know, there's something about um, December in Durban that is just so special. I think probably part of it is obviously the Christmas carols and mince pies and whatever you do to celebrate Christmas. I don't want to step in any toes today. Christmas stockings, Christmas trees, whatever you do. But also there's something about the heat and the humidity of Durban being able to celebrate Christmas by the beach or by your swimming pool or whatever you choose to do that is really just incredible and i think there 's also this energy as two million holiday makers make their way to Durban this time of year that even though this city has felt like a bit of a sleepy hollow over the last few days i 'm pretty sure the next while is going to be crazy with stuff going on it 's like a special city to celebrate what we're remembering this time of year, that Jesus came down, that Jesus came to this earth. And that's exactly what we want to do today. And no matter, um, I guess, what you believe, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith today, I want to say you're welcome here. And I think there's something significant about the fact that 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus, after this man was born, we are all gathered here on the southeastern kind of tip of Africa in this primary school with these green chairs and these green floors, remembering the fact that this man was born. Do Jesus is no ordinary man and this was no ordinary birth. And again, wherever you are on the spectrum of belief today, I want to say that Jesus says that his birth and his message in his life is good news of great joy for all people. So I really do believe for you today that the Christmas message is something to say to you, something for your life, something for where you're at. And I hope it will encourage you today. So you can turn your eyes to the screen. We're going to read from a bit of Matthew one together. Otherwise if you do have a Bible or a Bible app, you're welcome to pop open your books or your phones and we're going to read from chapter uh, chapter one verse eighteen together. And it says you know what? It's it's a tragedy, but it will be okay. I do just want to say thank you to Carmen and to Dom and Josh for putting together our beautiful Christmas decor. Sadly, we can only celebrate one half of what's going on today, but um, I really do appreciate the time and energy and effort. And I guess it just was not meant to be this Christmas. We'll try again next year. Matthew 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put it a shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He just wanted to sweep this all under the rug. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him excuse me, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And can I just say, spoken by the prophet 730 years before this moment. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Then Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It's an amazing passage, um, but I must say for myself, kind of preparing for today and reading through like a number of different Christmas passages in the Bible, I struggled a bit because I think we, we come to Christmas with these red and green and white kind of lenses on, you know? So you read a passage like this and you're like, where's the Christmas at? Like there's no reindeers, there's no tinsel, there's no fairies, or not fairies, <laughs> there is an angel, there's no fairy lights, there's no eggnog, there's no hot chocolate, there's no Christmas presents or Christmas trees or stockings. Where's Christmas going on in this passage? Instead, what we kind of find in this story is three big ideas of scandal, sin, and salvation. And we kind of think to ourselves, well, where's all the Christmas in that, you know? And we've just got to admit, as we read the story and as we think about the story, that this is weird. Like it would be weird for us reading through this and thinking about this today. But imagine being in Joseph's shoes or being in Mary's shoes. This must have been a very weird experience for them and a very interesting time of year. So what I really want to do this morning is I just want to simply look at what Matthew 1 is speaking about, those three big ideas, and see how really those are significant for Christmas and for each one of us and for our lives today. But before we do that, let me just pray quickly. So Jesus, as this is a time of year where we celebrate you coming, I really do ask that you would come in this room now and be God with us. Lord, I pray that in a way you would take those green and white and red lenses off of our eyes. And as we speak about your birth and what that is all about, I pray we'd be able to kind of cut through all the other Christmassy stuff and really see you, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who saves. And I pray we'd see how relevant and important that is for our lives. Amen. So I think what I love about Matthew's account of the Jesus story is that this is kind of Joseph's point of view. So Luke is my favorite gospel, little Bible nerd. I really like what Luke has to say. But Luke gives us Mary's account of the birth of Jesus. So we kind of get the angel Gabriel coming down and appearing to Mary and speaking to her about what's going to happen. And on top of that, we get Mary's three months with her relative. We don't really know who she is, Elizabeth, who would give birth to John the Baptist. So if you didn't know this, John the Baptist and Jesus were relatives. They were cousins or somehow they were connected. And we also get like Mary treasuring up all of these things in her heart. She was a proud prego mom. And she even sings a song. She sings a song to celebrate that God has trusted her with giving birth to this boy who will be the savior of the world. Joseph's story, on the other hand, is a little bit more nitty gritty. is a little bit different. And as you can imagine, when Joseph finds out that his fiancee, who he has not been sleeping with, is pregnant... And is claiming that this is from the Lord, he's a little bit skeptical and he's a little bit unsure of what to believe. There's a bit of scandal involved. Now I think probably for all of us, Christmas time can be a bit sentimental. Don't know if you're like me, but I enjoy watching a few Christmas movies in the build up to Christmas Day. So Sean and I've watched a few over the last while and they're like family movies, they feel good, like emotional roller coaster, you laugh a bit, you cry a bit, you feel a bit, tugs on the heartstrings. Christmas can be sentimental. And obviously there's traditions, you know, if you do this kind of thing, I reckon most of us in this room are into some Christmas traditions. So Shell was nagging me, when are we getting our tree? And the Clark family tradition is the 16th of December, that's when we go to get the tree. But Shell from like, I don't know, October wanted us to go and get this Christmas tree and get it going up. So we've got that tradition, we do stockings for each other, there's a few other things that we do. In the Clark home growing up we always had Quality Street, that was kind of like a Christmas thing. Whatever your traditions are, so Christmas can be sentimental. It can be traditional. It can be religious. You know, this can be a time of year that we want to sing Christmas carols and remember the Christmas story and think about kind of peace, love, hope, joy, all of those good Christmas message ideas. But for Joseph, the first Christmas was none of those things. This wasn't like sentimental. He wasn't feeling good. He wasn't feeling tradition or religion. He was feeling angry. He was feeling confused. He was feeling hurt. He was devastated because his girl, this woman that he wanted to marry and spend the rest of his life with, was coming to him with news that she was pregnant and she had this whole story kind of mapped out that he wasn't buying into, but it seemed like she would cheated on him and she'd broken his heart and he couldn't trust her anymore. That's what Joseph's first Christmas was all about. And we've got to understand Mary had an angel appear to her. Gabriel had come and he'd spoken to her and they'd had this encounter and I'm sure she was a bit nervous and a bit scared. She was young. They were probably both teenagers at the time, as weird as that sounds to us. But she thought, you know what? God has spoken to me. He's told me that this is what I'm called to do. This is my assignment. I've got faith for it. I'm unsure, but cool. God, thank you for trusting me. Joseph had none of that stuff. So when Mary comes to him with some kind of ancient Middle Eastern pregnancy test, and there's like a little plus sign His eyes go wide, and she can just see the excitement draining out of his face. She's like, we're pregnant. He's like, we? (laughs) What do you mean we're pregnant? He's terrified and unhappy. And they have this awkward conversation where Mary's backpedaling, and she's trying to convince Joseph, no, this is a good thing. We're pregnant, but I'm still a virgin, and God's the Father, and it's the Savior of the world, and this is the promise fulfilled, Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph is having none of this. This is a very hard sell, as you can imagine. And this is the first Christmas. And we kind of get this in Matthew chapter 1 and we read what is going on present tense at the first Christmas. But we miss all of the backstory. We miss the fact that Mary and Joseph probably would have grown up together in the same small town. So the commentators I was reading were saying there's probably a couple of dozen families at that time. Maybe 200 people in the small town. Everyone knows everyone. You know what small-town life is like? Durban's a bit like that, and it's a city. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows each other's business. You bump into people in the shops, all of that stuff, you know? Imagine a town of 200 people. Everyone knew everything about you. And when you were growing up, I guess Mary and Joseph would have played together on the jungle gym at the school that they went to or whatever they did. And I guess when they became teenagers and the hormones started raging a little bit, there weren't that many people that you could choose from to marry. So Mary and Joseph start dating and they decide they're going to get married and they're just like dreaming about their future. You know, Joseph is saying to her, Mary, you know what I think? I think maybe we should move to Jerusalem for a while. Let's work in the city. Let's earn some money. Let's get some experience Then we can come back home. We can buy a nice house, kind of get a nice swing outside and we can grow old and watch all of our grandkids run around. And now Mary has come to him with some news, which has absolutely shattered his dreams and his plans. This is his girl. This is the one he loves. This is the one he wants to spend the rest of his life with. This is the person he's kind of given his heart over to, and now that's been crushed. It's been destroyed. His trust is broken. She's cheated on him, and she's been unfaithful. And almost the question in this moment that Joseph needs to answer is this. What is he going to believe about this baby Jesus, and what is he going to do about this baby Jesus? Now think about it if you were in Joseph's shoes, what you would do. And understandably, Joseph decides to call off the wedding. He's kind of not buying into any of this virgin, Holy Spirit conception, savior of the world conspiracy theory that Mary's got going. But one of the things Matthew does write down is that Joseph spends a lot of time thinking at this time. He considers all of these things after calling off the wedding. And I think that's probably like a lot of us. Like wherever you are today in terms of your relationship with Jesus, uh, I think probably a number of us are thinkers, you know, we're we applying logic to our faith. We want to consider these things. We want to process them. We've got questions that we want answered. We've got doubts that are real, and that's absolutely okay. As Brendan spoke about with Alpha, we want that to be a space where people with questions and doubts can come in and can voice those and share those in a safe space to kind of explore Christianity and the claims of Jesus. I want you to know that if you're a Christian or if you're like on the verge, you're thinking about Christianity, you don't have to kiss your brains goodbye. Faith is not like a not thinking person's uh, thing. Religion isn't like that. Actually, there's a lot of great answers out there. There's a lot of great resources out there. If you've got questions, we would love to help you to answer them. And while Joseph is considering all of these things, processing everything that's been going on and what Mary has said to him, he falls asleep. I don't know if he fell asleep angry. If I was Joseph, I would be tossing and turning every night, going through all of this in my mind, broken-hearted. Maybe he cried himself to sleep this night. And as he goes to sleep, he has a dream. And the angel of the Lord appears to him and speaks to him and says, Joseph, do not fear. Do not fear. The angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear to raise this baby as your own. Do not fear to believe that this child is the fulfillment of the prophecy. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's Jesus, the Savior of the world. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is all of these things. Do not fear to believe these. Everything Mary has told you, as crazy as it sounds, is actually true. The angel appears and says, do not fear. And I really think one of the things God was wanting to do with Joseph was put courage in him. Like, imagine this is your Christmas. You get some news like this. This is your story. And you've got to step up to this assignment that God has given you, something that he wants from you. And it's a big one. You know, in a sense, God is saying to Joseph, will you raise this boy... Who's not yours? Will you be like a stepdad to this child? But then, on maybe a scarier note, will you raise God? (laughs) Will you raise God in the flesh? I don't know what would go through my mind, but I think I would be terrified of that. I have the responsibility of raising this child who is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He will die for the sins of the world. And now I've got to be this dad. And I'm sure it required a lot of courage for Joseph and Mary to say, God's chosen us. He must know what he's doing. We've got to do this, you know? But for Joseph, it was more than that. Joseph also needed to say yes to God, knowing that he'd probably be laughed at and mocked. You know, imagine the people in the small town, 200 people, or whatever, everyone knew the story. And it would have probably gotten out, oh, Mary thinks that she's giving birth to the Messiah. She thinks she's given birth to the Christ. Did you hear the story about this Holy Spirit impregnation thing? Joseph is such a fool. Imagine people laughing about him behind his back. And then other people kind of gossiping about him and scorning him. People saying, oof. Now Joseph's blaspheming. He's saying that actually this is a miracle baby when actually he just couldn't wait to get married and they've fallen pregnant. He's trying to cover up this whole thing. And really for Joseph, he knew he was going to be misunderstood. He knew he was going to be spoken about and gossiped about. And part of Christmas for Joseph was just deciding, you know what, I'm going to give my reputation over to God. I'm going to give up my reputation and trust it to him. I'm going to embrace the scandal of Christmas. I don't know what the future holds, but I'm not going to fear because God is good. And he believes everything that the angel has said and everything that Mary has said about this baby. And I want to ask you today, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about this child that was born? What do you believe about all of these claims, you know, that he is God, that he is the savior of the world, that he is the fulfillment of hundreds of thousands of years of prophecies and promises, that he is the Christ? Do you believe these things? Matthew writes and tells us, But when Jesus was born, it was the fulfillment of this prophecy or this promise that had been 730 years in the making. And I was thinking of the Israelites, probably when Isaiah prophesied this, they're psyched. Like, this is incredible. God in the flesh. God with us. This sounds amazing. We really want this. And then 730 years later, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have forgotten about it or given up on it. Or when they hear that this is who Jesus is meant to be, they don't believe it, you know. No, no, that's like this old myth. I don't believe that could happen today. That will happen sometime in the future. So, 730 years is a long time to wait for something. I don't know um, if any of you have seen that show, Magic for Humans, on Netflix. I know maybe a few of you have at least seen the trailer. But there's this one funny scene where this kind of magician comedian guy pulls pulls um, a bunch of kids into a room, and he gives them each a marshmallow. And I know there have been a few different versions of this experiment, but the idea is the interviewer comes in and says, okay, here's one marshmallow. If you can wait 10 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. But if you eat the marshmallow now, it's just the one. You just get the one, and that's it. And the interviewer kind of walks out. The one kid, as soon as the interviewer is out the door, puts it straight in his mouth, folds his arms, and smiles. He stokes to have his marshmallow. And then this magician is obviously doing all sorts of tricks. So he steals some of the kids' marshmallows and eats them, and he makes like 10 appear out of nowhere, and he does all of this. But watching how the kids respond, you know, you've got the naughty kids or the kids who can't wait. They gobble down those marshmallows. They're good to go. And then you've got kind of the type A, more anal retentive kids. And they're they're looking at this thing. They know, you know, it's worth it. Delayed reward. That's what they're going for. And they maybe poke it and turn it around, but they're not going to eat it. They want the second marshmallow. I guess that's more like what I would be as a kid. And they're struggling to wait 10 minutes just to get the second marshmallow. And for the Israelites, they've had to wait 730 years for this promise to be fulfilled. And I was thinking of us as the church, thinking of us as followers of Jesus, if that's you today. We've been waiting 2,000 years for Jesus' promise that he's going to come again. 2,000 years waiting for that promise, every year trusting that it could happen. Do you believe that could happen soon? Do you think about the fact that Jesus is coming again and that this world as we know it will be wrapped up and everything will be different? Do you believe that Jesus, who was born 2,000 years ago, is coming again to be back with us? And I mean, I guess as the Israelites waited for their promise to be fulfilled, it wasn't that they didn't know about God. You know, they did. They had the Torah or their version of the Holy Scriptures, and they had the temple or the tabernacle. So they had ways of knowing God. They knew about God. They saw God do amazing things. They were the people of God. But this was completely different. This was God with us. God walking among us, God in flesh and blood. And I guess, I don't know if any of you have seen Love Actually. That's probably one of Shalini's Christmas traditions. Really good Christmas movie. Maybe a few scenes you don't want your kids to see or that you might want to fast forward. But it starts in this, I guess, Heathrow Airport. And you'll see all of these people coming and going. And Hugh Grant's voice is kind of played over this clip, but you see all of these people hugging and embracing and kissing and crying and joyful and arms in the air and all of that as family come in for Christmas from around the world. Our world today, with technology, we can text and WhatsApp and call and Skype and FaceTime people and see people in their home. You know, you can see your family or your friends anywhere in the world where they are. It's incredible. But it's not the same as being able to actually touch Shane. This is my Christmas gift right <laughs> It's very different being able to touch and see the three dimensional reality of people. You know, being able to just—I don't know—enjoy that flesh and blood reality of having someone in our midst. I think that's why the first thing when you're at an airport that you see people do when they come through that door is they touch, they embrace, they kiss because it's they're here, they're finally here, and that's kind of the idea of what's going on in this picture. God incarnate, God in the flesh. Jesus in flesh and blood is going to come down. Eugene Peterson, uh, who translates a version of the Bible, puts it this way. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Or God arrived in the scene. Or another writer says, in Jesus, God gave us a face. I think that's my favorite one. Because everyone had known about God, but in Jesus, God gave us a face. He showed us what he was like. He was God with us. So that if we looked at Jesus, we would know what God was like. If you want to know what God is like, just go to the scriptures. Go to look at Jesus. See how he spoke in situations, how he treated people, how he acted, all of those things, because Jesus shows us what God the Father is like. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And everything that is in God or true of God is in Jesus or true of Jesus. He was both fully God and fully man. And Christmas teaches us that God is not just an impersonal force, or an energy, or like some distant out there deity disengaged from our lives, but that God cares, and that God came down, and he came to our world, and he lived like as a human being for 30 years, walking around our streets. He knows what human life is like. He knows what you're going through. He can empathize. He can understand. He cares, and he loves you. God came down to have a relationship with you and I. Jesus wants to know you. He wants to be with you. And then the other thing that the angel tells Joseph is what to call this baby. He says, call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I think we miss a little bit of this culturally, as we often do as we read the scriptures. But the idea is that back in the day, for Middle Eastern parents, it was their privilege, particularly for the father, to name their child, particularly to name their son. And it's almost like God comes and says to Joseph, step aside I'm going to name this child, we know you're not the dad, it's all me, and I'm going to call him Jesus, and God picks the name for this boy. And in scripture, a person's name was more than just a label. I mean, Joel and I haven't had kids yet, but I think for a lot of people we speak to, they go through the baby book and they look at names and they underline and circle and dog ear and finally pick the names that they want to go with. And those names are a label. You You think, I don't want to call them this name because that person at school is a nightmare, but I really like this person, so maybe I'll go with that kind of name. And my parents decided to call me Grant, which is, I think it's a beautiful name. It's a family name, but also Grant means tall, which, um, <laughs> you get the point. So to Mary and Joseph, these Middle Eastern parents, they knew that the name that they were going to give to their boy would be his identity. This was who Jesus was, something of his um, purpose in this world. The reason he had come was locked up in this name and something of like the deepest sense of his identity, his personhood was locked up in that name too. And the angel says to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because of his life's work, because of who he is, because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus or Yeshua or Joshua or Josh All means the Lord saves or God is our savior. That's the identity of Jesus. That is what he came to do. And when Joseph wakes up from this dream, when Joseph wakes up from this incredible God encounter and hearing the angel speak to him and all of that, he wakes up and believes that Jesus is who he says he is that Jesus saves, that Jesus is Emmanuel, he's converted, he's a new man. And we've kind of seen this change that Joseph has gone through here. I mean, it's been kind of a rapid one. We've gone through it in eight verses. But he's gone from this kind of bewildered, devastated, unbeliever skeptic to being sold out, he buys in. He's going to marry this girl, he's going to raise this boy, and he knows that this boy is Jesus, the Savior of the world. And he had some hurdles to kind of get over and some questions he need answered. But Joseph now believes that this is good news of great joy for all people. He's brought in. I think what happens for some of us when it gets to Christmas, because we know this all so well, we almost superimpose some of the Santa story over the Jesus story. And we think that the good news of great joy for all people is that at Christmas time, we can make a decision to make 2019 the best year we're going to have. You know, we're going to be better in 2019 because there are some things this year that we shouldn't have done and some things we can work on to make 2019 a great year. And maybe that's a good thing for you to do. You know, that could be good advice to you. Maybe you should. Maybe there are some things this year you really, really shouldn't have done. But I just want to say being moved from God's naughty list to God's nice list is not the gospel. That's not Christianity at all. That might be a good idea for you to do, but that's not what Christianity is all about. In fact, that's quite stressful. Like if my message to you today was 2019, come on church, come on people, let's try our best to move ourselves from God's naughty list to God's nice list. If we all try really hard and encourage one another, we can maybe do it. That sounds like so much pressure. That's hard work, not good news. You know? How do you know if God is happy with you? How do you know if you've done enough? How do you know if you've crossed the line? And what if you do and you take your foot off the pedal and then you kind of go back to the other side? It's stressful to live that kind of way. And that's not what Jesus has done. The good news of great joy for all people is that God came down. That's the message. Not that salvation is within, but that God came down, that salvation is from above, that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And it's not that he's going to give you a message. This is what you must do. This is how you must try. This is, come on, the vision for us, Harbor City 2019. But the message is that Jesus did it for us. That he is the savior and that he will save you. Salvation comes from above. It doesn't come from within. And all of us in this room are trying to save ourselves in some way. Whatever that means for you. And the message of Christmas is that salvation doesn't come from trying harder and doing more and trying to reach it and attain it and get it. And if we just put in a bit more energy, maybe in 2019 we can make it happen. But the message of Christmas is that salvation is a person and his name is Jesus. That's the good news of great joy for all people. And I know that sin isn't something we really like to talk about at Christmas. Sin's more the Easter thing, you know. We'll leave that for April. We'll talk about the cross then. Let's just talk about the baby. Let's talk about some presents today. But the message of Christmas is that if God, the King of the universe, the King of Kings, would leave the glory and splendor of heaven and come down and be born in this messy, unworthy, dirty, animal-feeding trough, then he can come into the sinful bits, the messy bits, the broken bits, the failed bits of your life and mine, and he can bring redemption and salvation and newness and hope and change and transformation. And this is pretty important, because if God decided to come down once in the history of the world, and be born as a baby and live a life as a human. And he takes on this name Jesus, which is about everything that he is here to do, his identity and purpose. And if that is all about forgiveness of sins and being reconciled to God, then that's something we should be aware of. If that's what God came to do, then you and I should think, well, what are we going to do about this message? And I know probably a lot of us don't use the word sin too often don't really work in a non-Christian office, I'm like the pastor, one other person, we're both Christians, but I don't imagine you're talking about sin too much around the office like water cooler or an email or anything like that, so the language of sin might not be something we use too much, but the experience of sin is, you know, I know every single day there are those moments where I don't do what I want to do, and when I don't do what I know I should do, I've probably done it today already. And there's probably every single day those moments where, and I probably get in trouble for this more than most of you, where I say things I shouldn't say, and I kind of don't mean what I do say, and all of those things, and by my own standards, I don't say and do what I should do, let alone my motives. Half of the time my motives are impure and there's like selfishness or pride or anger or shame or guilt tied into why I do the things that I do. So when I'm talking about Jesus coming to forgive sins, I'm not just talking about like the big 10. You know, the 10 commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. There's also these kind of everyday little things that we probably brush aside of this internal anger and jealousy and coveting and greed and whatever else festers inside of our hearts that I'm talking about too. And I'm not even getting onto these big systemic sins in our society. In South Africa, I think the sin all around us is so obvious and visible. The injustice, the inequality, the poverty, the brokenness of our society. But at Christmas, we realize that sin separates us from God, but that sin also affects every single day. Sin affects our lives. Internally, it breaks us. Sin affects our relationships, and sin affects our world. It affects everything around it. And I realize that forgiveness of sins... Might not be something that we see kind of at Christmas time in Christmas catalogs or advertised or anything like that. And it might not be something that we're considering for our New Year's resolutions. But God says this is really important. God says this is why he came. God says this is something that we should process and deal with. And this is something Jesus wants for you. He wants your sins forgiven. And a little bit later on, John 10 verse 10, he says not only that he came to forgive our sins, but that he came to give us life. And laugh to the full. I think that's an amazing promise he makes. I think a lot of people who've even been in church for a long time don't believe that God loves you, that God cares about you, that God likes you, and that God wants the best for you. But he does. I want you to know that today. God cares about you and he wants the best for you. And that is why he sent his son. That's why he tells us about what is good for us and bad for us. Think of God, the creator. He's the designer and architect of everything that exists. So he knows the way you're wired, and he knows what is good for you and bad for you. And he comes to us, and he wants us to enter into the life that is truly life, the fullness of life that can be in him. But he kind of says to us, listen, this can't be on your terms. It's got to be on my terms. Jesus defines a whole bunch of things as sin. And he says that we can't do this in our own way. We can't do this in our own terms. We kind of need to come to him for forgiveness. And we kind of need to respond to him for who he is. If we want to enter into the life that is truly life. I guess I want to ask you this Christmas, what do you want to do with the gift of Jesus? Have you responded to Jesus the Savior? Have you come to him and asked him to forgive your sins? Do you want to enter into the life that is truly life? Because we all need a saviour. South Africa needs a saviour. The world that we live in, I think 2018 has revealed to us, maybe more than anything, that our world needs a saviour. And at Christmas we celebrate that God came down as a saviour. That he has come. And he offers us this forgiveness and life that is truly life. Would you stand and pray with me? We kind of do a bit of a response thing at the end of our services. So I love you to think how you need to respond to Jesus today. But Lord, at Christmas time, as we remember your birth, we remember you coming into this world. Lord, I pray for each of us now that you would come, Holy Spirit, and maybe highlight to us the things that you want to say. I pray for any of us that want our sins forgiven even now, that you would come and that you would wash us clean maybe the burden of sin, the reality of sin, the effects of sin, that you would wash us clean, that you would forgive us. And I thank you for the promise of Emmanuel, God, with us. And I ask you even now, for those who want to know you, Lord, that you would come and make yourself known. Come and meet with us, we pray. And we want to kind of cut out the red, green, and white goggles of Christmas. And for a second, just want to focus on you. And we pray that you would speak to us and meet with us. In Jesus' name. Amen.